Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at The MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the My Fit Podcast. Hope you guys had an awesome Memorial Day weekend. This week, we're going to throw it back to a throwback episode with one of my favorite ones yet is episode 82 with Julie Fouché. For those of you that don't know Julie or didn't listen to the show, Julie Julie is a four-time CrossFit Games competitor and has never finished outside of the top five. She also spent time on the seminar staff, traveling around the world, teaching movement and the methodology of CrossFit. Since competing, Julie has worked her way towards being a family physician as well as building her brand, Pursuing Health. Julie also finds time and her busy schedule to grow her own podcast called Pursuing Health Podcast, where she interviews high-level athletes, coaches, and medical professionals in the field. Julie was and continues to be a fan favorite from the way she carries herself in the spotlight and also in her career as a doctor and even just on social media. It was an incredible honor to have her on the show and it's one of my favorite episodes yet, so I felt like it was a great time to throw it back for those of you who are maybe new listeners or want to hear from her again. Some of the topics that we got into who were reflecting on her injury at the 2015 regionals. I remember this day very vividly because I was there competing and got to see kind of behind the scenes as I was warming up for the next event. After that, we talked about the five pillars of health, then got into nutrition topics like quality versus quantity, how to eat for health versus performance. Then we talked about the staggering obesity statistics that are out there and climbing rapidly right now. We talked about finding a practitioner that aligns with your values and also dove into functional medicine. What is it and what isn't it? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Even if you heard it last year, I think it'll be a good one to refresh and take some notes on and see if you take away something different from this episode. Once again, guys, our legends code did get changed. It just does that every season. So make sure if you are purchasing some legends apparel, use code MYFIT. 215 at checkout. That's M-I-F-I-T 215 at checkout to receive 15% off. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy this throwback episode. It's one of my favorite ones ever recorded with Julie Fouché. Let's go. All right. It's my pleasure to bring on Julie Fouché to the My Fit Podcast. Julie, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Cool. I want to first take a trip down memory lane a little bit. And it was my first introduction to you in person. Uh, I was at the 2015 regionals here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So in, in my hometown where a lot of people that are listening to the show can relate to. And I vividly remember a very traumatic uh, moment that happened in your career, very pivotal part of your life, I would say. And so what I want to do is I want to hear it from you. I want to hear what was that moment like for you uh, being there and going through such a big moment. Talk to me a little bit about what happened and share with the listeners that maybe didn't know CrossFit as a sport then? Sure. Yeah, you're right about it being a very big moment in my life. Um, so I was 
competing at regionals 2015. It was, I knew going into that season that it was going to be my last season competing um, seriously because I had to go back and turn my, my focus towards me- finishing medical school and then residency. And the previous years, I would say my CrossFit Games career had been really all about me like learning to gain confidence over mm-hmm. the course of the previous four years. So I started in 2010 um, and always, always just really struggled with confidence. And I think mm-hmm. that was what held me back in a lot of those, those years. And so going into the 2015 season, I felt so good. I felt like I had just such an amazing, I really enjoyed the process of training that year. I had hit some milestones in training that I had been chasing for a really long time. Um, and that was something that really meant a lot to me. And I had a little sort of back injury that, that I was dealing with leading up to regionals. But by the time regionals came around, I was feeling really good. And I had had issues with my Achilles in the past, um, like just some tendonitis and some plantar fasciitis that I had been dealing with. And it had always been in the back of my mind as something like, oh, that would be my worst fear would be to tear my Achilles. And, you know, one of the workouts had, I think, I don't care if I think it was 50s or 100s, but a lot of box jumps. And normally in training, I didn't do a ton of rebounding box jumps. Like I would do small numbers, but not, I try not to overdo it. But leading into that regional, I had done that workout at least twice and rebounded all the box jumps, felt great. My Achilles felt great. I was feeling really good. For some reason, the, the day before regional started, I had gone on just a short jog with my husband just to kind of loosen up once we got to Minneapolis. And it started, I remember telling him like, oh man, my Achilles kind of hurts today. That's weird. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really think much of it. Went out for the event, ended up tearing my Achilles in the middle of the event. Um, and I kind of knew, like it was very, very classic textbook. Like you feel like, someone drops something on the back of your leg and you turn around to look and there's nobody there. And once I like tried to do another box jump and realized my leg wasn't working right, I kind of knew in the back of my head that's what had happened, but didn't really sink in until, you know, I'm walking across the floor and I go to the medical tent and they did some more um, tests just to make sure that's what was going on. Um, I remember Boz coming up to me afterwards and I think it was Boz or maybe another judge saying, you know, are you going to do the next event? Because the next event was a handstand walk and it didn't really, it wasn't even a question in my mind. I said, of Mm -hmm. course, it's a handstand walk. I can do that. That's not a problem. So I planned to do that. And, um, the, you know, the medical people there were amazing. They gave me, um, like a walking boot to kind of protect my leg as I went back out on the floor and I ended up doing this handstand walk and it was incredible. Um, I, it's funny how it's just like all these experience in your, experiences in your life kind of come full circle because mm-hmm. leading into this event, I had also been working with gymnastics coaches um, who, you know, crazy story in and of itself. Dominique Muciano was someone who I had looked up as, at as a young gymnast. She was on the 99, 1996 um, gold medal winning team and her husband Mike both lived in Cleveland and I had been looking for a gymnastics coach and I was like, well, there's no real college teams here. How am I going to find a good gymnastics coach? And lo and behold, there they are living in Cleveland. And I started working with them and developing a relationship with them. And we had been doing a lot of weighted handstand walks to prepare for this event. So a lot of like long handstand walks, ankle weights on. So when I went out on the floor to do the walk with my boot on, it really 
was not a big deal because mm-hmm. I had been training for that. And so finished the handstand walk. Um, probably one of the most powerful moments of my life was after finishing that handstand walk. Um, you know, they cut the, you know, game show or update show caught me for a, a few words and everyone else had kind of cleared the floor. And then I turn around after doing that interview and I had to walk all the way across the floor to get back to the athlete area by myself and nobody else is out there. And like, it was literally one of the craziest moments of my life because I could just feel the entire, you know, everybody there, everybody watching, just like Mm -hmm. there with me in this moment of being super vulnerable and like lifting me up just the same way that we all do in CrossFit, you know, whenever anything happens um, to any of us. So it was super powerful. And I'm, you know, I feel lucky that it happened that way and was able to experience that. And, um, and that the next event was a handstand walk and I could kind of go out on the floor and, and experience that. And then, you know, full circle again, Mike, you know, Navanique's husband, he's also a foot and ankle surgeon and he ended up actually doing my surgery oh, okay. when I got back home. So kind of a crazy story all around. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps thinking back to that moment when you were <laughs> able to, and, and for those of you guys that weren't there, or don't remember, you still had a top 10 finish, I believe. Is that correct? I think so. I don't remember exactly what place I ended up, but I think I ended up like kind of holding my own until the very last event, which had a heavy clean. Right. So I did everything up until those heavy cleans. And then that last event, I couldn't finish. Yeah. Um, su- such a cool and admirable part of the weekend. I'll never forget it. And I also remember I was competing on a team and I remember being in the back. I don't know if we just got done with the event or if we were warming up for the next one or what have you, but I remember vividly you coming into the back and going into that medical tent and seeing the look on your face. I was, I mean, I was, I was right there for oh, that. And I, so so I'm, cu- <laughs> I'm curious, what were some of the thoughts going through your head when you were in the medical tent? Were you thinking like, gosh, surgery, were you thinking long-term? Were you thinking just the next event? What was going through your mind right after the injury? Um, I think it was just the initial like heartbreak of like, you're not like, I just knew like, I'm not, this isn't something I'm going to recover from. I'm not going to compete in the games this mm-hmm. year. Like this is the end of my CrossFit competition career. And I, you know, I knew it was coming all year and people would ask me like, how's it going to feel when you're done and what's it going to be like? But this was just, it just came unexpectedly early. And so that sinking in, I think, was the biggest thing that I was feeling. Um, and obviously, just like a lot of raw emotions going through that. Right. Did the injury make it almost easier to transition and step away? Sometimes I think uh, I would talk to Miranda Olderoid and she said when she tore her ACL, that was an easy like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm not coming back. Sometimes mm-hmm. those are blessing in disguise. Was that something afterwards that you kind of thought? I think potentially, mm-hmm. um, because I always had wondered, you know, how am I going to deal with this when it's, when it's over and when I'm focusing on other things and it, it, the transition was just so smooth because when I got home, it was like, I had new things to focus on. I was doing surgery and then I was doing rehab and my husband and I got married. So we had that goal of like, I want to be able to walk and dance at my wedding. Mm-hmm. And then I was right back into med school. So I was just very kind of almost distracted or had other goals to focus on. And I thought that it was going to be much more of a grieving process than it was, but it really wasn't. I mean, I think part of it was just how that weekend was kind of therapeutic for me, even mm. just like feeling the support of the whole CrossFit community. And then, um, and then afterwards, I, you know, I think 
all in all, it was a very smooth transition. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And from 2015 to 2020, a lot has happened. Obviously, you've been through yeah. medical school and there's, we could probably spend a lot of time talking about those five years. But if we were to kind of zoom forward, you know, now you're, you've started, you know, creating your own brand, Pursuing Health. You have a podcast, which is phenomenal, by the way, guys, if you haven't listened to Pursuing Health, um, I'll put in the show notes here, check that out. And I've been listening to your show, Julie, ever since the beginning. And something that continues to pop up, whether I think you try to or not, is the word um, longevity. Tell me a little mm, bit about mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? Why does it keep popping up? Is that, is that maybe because you kind of influence that? Or tell me a little bit about that word and why it's so important. Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think when I started, I started the podcast right around that same time mm-hmm. that, you know, I was transitioning away from competing. And initially, it was a lot about CrossFit Games athletes and performance and other professional athletes. And then as I've grown, in my career and gone through medical school and residency, you know, the podcast has also grown and morphed into, you know, we still like, I still love talking to athletes, but also we, we talk to a lot more um, health experts and researchers and people who are on sort of the cutting edge. And, and for me, you know, I think my, my time competing in the CrossFit Games was amazing. And I think I learned so many important lessons and, you know, I think CrossFit in general teaches all of us about life and about ourselves. And, for me, training for the CrossFit Games really put me on the fast track to learning a lot of those lessons because you're mm-hmm. just like doing it a lot more. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, why we all do CrossFit, I think is, for why most people do CrossFit, I think is for general health and longevity. It's because we want to be able to run around with our kids and our grandkids. It's because we don't want to have to be put in a nursing home when we're 80 years old. It's because we want to have a good quality of life. And I think that's the beautiful gift that CrossFit gives us is, you know, it teaches us how to do these functional movements so that we aren't, hopefully, are not going to have to be dependent on other people as we get older. Um, And it gives us that confidence to be able to tackle new challenges and do things that are hard, um, which is going to really pay off for us in the long run. And so for me, my, my interest now has been more in how do we translate this into, into helping people realize that potential in their lives to help, help them have you know, a long functional life. And it's not just about having a long life and sitting in a nursing home for those last 20 years, but it's about having a long life that's really functional so that you can enjoy all of those years and, you know, do anything and don't let your health be something that holds you back. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much to unpack there. If you, and I know that's something that's very interesting or you're very interested in. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how can people do that? What are some steps that we can do to create longevity in our lives? And I like what you said, like, you know, you want to live longer, but those last years not in the nursing home, I think there's a pivotal difference between those two. But how, yeah. how, how can we, fitness professionals, how are you, what are some ways that we can, you know, help promote this a little bit more and kind of uh, give more of the idea of longevity? Yeah, so I think, I always like to think of, basically five different pillars. So, you know, CrossFit is amazing because it covers a lot of these pillars, but exercise is obviously one and doing functional movements and incorporating some intensity is one. But, you know, it obviously depends on the person. You can definitely take that too far. And, you know, the way that I was training for the CrossFit Games, I don't think that was necessarily sustainable or something that would promote long-term health if I had continued on that way for forever. Um, that was sort of a means to an end or like a, a way to achieve this, this short-term goal of trying to be the fittest I could possibly be in a very short amount of time. Um, I think, you know, the other amazing thing about CrossFit is the community. And we mm-hmm. kind of talked about that already, but 
but that, you know, surrounding yourself with people who lift you up, having good relationships is so important for our health and our longevity. And these are all things that are seen in, you know, I'm sure people listening have heard of the blue zones or, you know, the areas of the world where people live to 100 and have these great quality of, of life. Um, most of them, these five pillars are playing some role and community is really important. And that's one of the reasons why I think CrossFit is so powerful too, is because it's, it's not only the really effective movement, but it's, it's connecting people together and creating this bond by doing things that are really difficult together. Um, nutrition is obviously super important, which I think, you know, we talk about in CrossFit, but on a, it's not necessarily something that's always emphasized and depending, you know, what, what kind of circle you're in or what gym you're at or, or who you hang out with, it may be emphasized more or less, but, but it, keeping it simple, like it doesn't have to be following the latest like keto macros, whatever trend, but just eating real food, trying to eat really good quality foods, making sure you're getting enough of, you know, the protein and the healthy fats. And if you're training, not getting enough carbs, I think a lot of people, you know, think that carbs are the enemy, but if you are training a lot, sometimes those can be important. Um, sleep is super important. That's something that I think we as a CrossFit community really do not do a good job at because we're all because the 5 a.m. class, right? It's always that 5 yeah. a.m. class. You're like, dude, what time did you go to sleep, right? <laughs> right, right. We're, you know, we're all people who are doing a million different things. The type of person who wants to walk into a CrossFit gym is also working really hard at their job. They also have a family. They're also doing like five other things on the side and then trying to make the 5 a.m. class. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that's really underestimated, I think, is the sleep and recovery piece that we can really probably do a lot better job at. So the last two would be sleep and then um, stress management or basically finding time to put yourself in more of a relaxed parasympathetic state, which is those are the things that we, I think, really can work on as a community in general, myself included. Um, because we're just go, go, go. And we like to work hard and we like to see results, but sometimes that rest and recovery and that sleep is even more important than all of the, you know, hard work that we're putting in. So I think those are things that I always try to advocate for. And, and I think you see now a lot of the top games athletes, the ones that are doing it year after year and that are doing it well, they've figured that out. So it's not like, you know, like even Matt Fazer is a great example. Like his first couple of years, he was also a full-time student. He wasn't really sleeping that much. He was eating like crap. Now working out is his full-time job. And if he's not working out, he is recovering and he's recovering hard. And he's got Sammy cooking all these amazing meals for him and he's getting the good nutrition and he sleeps 10 hours a night. And like those things are the things that I think people don't see, but they, you know, and maybe don't realize how important they are, but especially when it comes to longevity, those are the things that are really going to pay dividends. Mm -hmm. And I, and I believe, I love the way you painted that picture with those five pillars and I believe they're all important and there's not one more important than the other. But I think uh, to that notion, sometimes I think people think exercise is the most important one where yes, it can be in certain, some realms, but I would say that I would, I would much rather have you be really good at two, three, four, five, and maybe you're not as good at the exercise things. But I just think uh, people want to see that exercise, number one, that's it. And they forget about the rest of it. Right. But I think right. there's just so much merit in, you know, let's, let's really let's do really well in the other four and then maybe you only work out twice a week gosh I'd rather have that person yeah it's so true I mean maybe it's, it's just because the exercise is fun and it's yeah. like, you know our way that we spend time together but um but I totally agree I think a lot of times and I've gotten better about this where you know if I'm just exhausted and I haven't slept well like it's okay to skip a workout mm -hmm. you know you don't have if you miss a workout it's not the end of the world you have to look at the big picture and 
I think other tools now are helping people make that realization, like things like the whoop band or people being able to track the heart rate variability and see objectively, you know, how well they're recovering can be really helpful engaging, you know, how hard they're going to push themselves the next day. I'm curious, uh, Julie, what's your approach on nutrition when it comes to your medical background? Is it, it, do you like to look at quantity versus quality? I know you talked a little bit about um, carbohydrates and and eating enough to train and kind of keep up with that. Can you talk a little bit about whether you are training for performance or training for longevity, health, whatever you're you're pursuing, um, what should, Mm -hmm. what should nutrition look like in your eyes? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think about it in stages. So it depends who you're talking to. Obviously nutrition is super personalized. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. So there's no sort of blanket, you know, anything that you say, it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone, but Mm -hmm. in general, I think starting with quality is really beneficial because, you know, I think a lot of people underestimate the impact that food and food has on our biochemistry and on our hormones. So, you know, eating real food is very, you know, it might be seem hard at first, but it's pretty easy to do. Just eat real food. If it's coming out of a package, it's not real food. Um, if it's a vegetable, if it's a nut, if it's a meat, fish, you know, whatever, it's real food. And starting there is really easy. And once you start to do that, I think anyone who's done that for a period of time starts to feel their, their chemistry change. They're not having the same cravings. They're starting to feel better. They can think more clearly. Um, and then you can start, once you kind of have that fog, like I notice this, if I go a period where I'm eating a lot of sugar, I'm like, kind of like diving off the deep end and just mm-hmm. eating whatever's in front of me, like I have this huge fog and I can't think clearly because it's almost like that sugar is, is hijacking my brain. And it's like, no, just keep eating this. It's really good. <laughs> and so once you get away from it, you can actually step back and make more rational decisions about what you want to eat. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, just changing up the food quality of what they're eating is going to have the majority of the impact. And that might be it, you know, that might be enough to just help people feel healthy and and feel well. I think the quantity piece you can layer on next. um, And that is much easier to do. Like I said, once you've addressed the quality, if you try to go in on quantity, like a lot of this, these trends now with macros and people are like, Oh, well, if it's my macros, so I can eat whatever I can eat a donut, I can eat, ice cream all day, whatever, if it fits my macros, but then you're, you're still having those, um, that sugar that's activating your hormones and telling you, Hey, keep eating more. And it's feeding that addiction. And so it's going to be nearly impossible to stick to that in the long term Mm -hmm. because you're just fighting your biochemistry and your hormones that way. But once you've eliminated those fake foods, um, quantity can be a way, you know, tracking macros, tracking quantity can be a way to just dial things in more specifically for you. And again, that's going to be really individual. Um, I think protein, you know, looking at, if you want to look at total calories and looking at protein are probably the most important places to focus your energy because, you know, I notice even if I think, okay, I'm having protein every meal, a lot of times I, I actually go back and measure and I'm not eating as much as I think. And, right. and a lot of us do need protein, um, especially if we're working out, if we're doing weightlifting, um, the protein is super important. And especially as we age, so as we get older, those protein needs actually increase. And mm. I think the number of older adults that I see that really don't need enough protein is just contributing to this, this, you know, fact of people ending up with sarcopenia and ending mm. up in the nursing home. Mm. So I kind of think quality, then layer on quantity and especially, especially focusing on protein. And then the, the kind of, you know, so you know how much protein you need, the fat carb ratio is just going to, 
depend on the person and how much exercise you're doing and what kind of how you feel best. And you can dial that all the way up to, you know, a keto diet where you're eating tons of fat, or you can dial it all the way back and eat, you know, a lot more carbs if you're training a ton. Sure. Um, and then the last thing is just the timing, which is this, everybody talking about intermittent fasting and, and fasting and, and even timing your nutrients around the time when you work out is something else that you can play with. Um, I think fasting has tons of benefits. And I think it's, again, very individual how you want to use it. So mm-hmm. I think for everyone going at least 12 hours a night without eating is probably a good idea. Um, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for a lot of people, they're probably not doing it unless they're putting attention to it. Because if you think about maybe you do a late workout, you get home late at night, you have a snack before you go to bed, and then you're up early the next day, you know, drinking coffee with, you know, cream or whatever in it. So, you know, trying to go for at least a 12 hour window, but then if you want to take more of the benefits of fasting, opening up that window to maybe 14 hours or 16 hours of fasting, can be beneficial for some people and we're just seeing the research is just really um encouraging and showing all the benefits and if you think about it just logically it makes sense i mean people have been fasting in different religions and different parts of the world forever um and it's it's just part of this like cycle of life where you think your body needs time to rest and digest and not to be processing food all day long and the impact that that can have on your metabolism and your microbiome is is really profound so that was a very long-winded answer, but that's kind of how I like to think about things is quality first, quantity, and then fasting. But again, being in family medicine and with a lot of the patients that I work with, you know, at the end of the day, it's about where does the person want to start and mm-hmm. starting with a small step because it, it has to, you, you can't force people to make these changes. It has to come from them wanting to do something different and doing something that they're comfortable with. And once you start, it's easy to gain more momentum. Man, I could not have painted a better picture. That was such a great answer on nutrition. <laughs> just we need to just get that clip and, and put it out there. That that was awesome. <laughs> I, I'm also curious though because you've been in the performance world and out of the performance world, and I'm still in the performance world. So I'm eating a ton of carbs and trying to keep up yeah. with all, all the training. What what does the in your mind or for your from your experience, what does eating look like when you are in the competitive realm? And then what does it look like for? And I know it's very individualized when you're out. What are some differences? Mm-hmm. What are some things that you know you should or shouldn't be doing when you're on one? side versus the other I think the biggest part is just when you're in the competitive realm you're training hours a day and you're putting your body under that those demands you just need to eat more I mean you're just your caloric needs just increase which is sometimes hard I mean I remember joking around like when we were training some of the team USA events that I did we would train I think it was like two or three women and two or three men. And then the women, we would always, once we were training with these guys, we'd be like, they're literally not eating anything (laughs) because they're training all day. And so they're drinking protein shakes here and there, but like the amount that they're eating is not a lot. And Mm -hmm. it can be hard. I think when you're training a lot to get enough calories in, because a lot of times you're not hungry if you're just training all day. So making sure that, you know, there is enough caloric intake, but then also the carbohydrate intake probably needs to be a little bit higher for people who are training a lot and competing mm-hmm. um and then when you're looking more towards health and longevity like for myself you know I it was an adjustment like I scaled back on how much I was eating and now like I'm not eating a ton of carbohydrates I still eat some like after working out um I try to focus them then like in the morning if I work out in the morning I might have a piece of like gluten-free toast or some fruit or if I work out in the evening I might have some sweet potato or some rice but I'm not 
it's not like every single meal I have that huge carb load like I used to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I want to transition a little bit. And during this this COVID season, you posted um, a Instagram post that had some staggering statistics. I clearly remember swiping or going through my my feed and, and reading these, and I had to sit down and reread it again because <laughs> it, it blew it blew my mind, honestly, Julie, because yeah. I wasn't I wasn't aware of some of these numbers, and it was it, it made me just feel very kind of bad about being a health professional. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, these are so bad. And so guys, if you haven't checked it out, some, some of these numbers were that 94% of COVID deaths are coming from people who have at least one underlying chronic disease. The next one was even more staring. Only 12% of American adults have optimal, optimal metabolic health. And then the third one was the, the big dagger was 50% of us adults are considered physically inactive. And again, being a personal trainer and a coach myself, I read these and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is awful. What are some of the things that go through your mind when you read this? Where, where's your head on uh, with all this? Um, maybe not COVID stuff, but just obesity as well. And kind of where we are as a society. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. I was, I was floored by some of those statistics too. So you know, I think it's easy for us as as people who love fitness and as mm-hmm. people who are always in this world of CrossFit and fitness, it's easy for us to, I think, have blinders on to some of the rest of the world or just sure. or just not realize, you know, how small of the popu- a percentage of the population we are of people who are super excited about exercise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think for me, it was very... Um, it was very like healthy and eye opening for me as I went through residency and working with general population of people just to realize how many people there are in the world that, you know, whether it's exercise or anything else, like their health is not their first concern. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's because, you know, they're in a situation where they're worried about their finances. They're worried about taking care of their kids or, you know, they've got other kind of bigger fish to fry and that's what's taking all their attention and the health is taking the back burner. And I think that's probably where a lot of the statistics come from is just that, you know, for so many people, health is not a priority for a variety of reasons. And if it's not a priority, we're not going to be doing the behaviors that necessarily are um, beneficial for maximizing our health. The other thing is just the world that we live in. I mean, it's very obvious. That part is very obvious where it's very easy to make unhealthy choices. And even us who live and breathe this stuff every day, we are surrounded. It's hard for us to make these unhealthy choices. If we go like, gonna, I'm, you know, at the hospital and there's a nursing station that has tons of cookies and muffins and it's, you know, five in the morning after I've had a long night on call, like those look really good. And I'm not going to lie and say that I've never had one because, that happens but we're constantly in these environments where it's easy to make the decisions that are undermining our health whether it's having fast food restaurants on every street corner whether it's our workplaces I mean that's something that I'm super passionate about is just hospitals are probably the most have the most unhealthy food of anywhere around which is so ironic right it's so (laughs) ironic But you think, I mean, the number of times that I saw, even during this COVID um, time period where people are trying to be helpful and they're trying to like, you know, give back and support caregivers who are going through the stress, but they're bringing in donuts, they're bringing in pizza. It's like, it's so backwards to me to think about like, this is the way that our society has been conditioned to show appreciation and say thank you and you know we celebrate birthdays and every occasion there's you know it, I'm sure people can relate being at 
maybe people are healthier being at home just because it's the office <laughs> every day. Someone would always bring in a cake yeah, for whatever yeah. occasion. Right. But um, like, that's just, that's just our culture. And then, and then in terms of the, you know, the, the sleep and the stress, like we also are in this culture of like, go, go, go. And last, you know, sleep when you're dead and just keep working hard. And um, stress is not really, you know, we can just, people just sort of deal with it. It's not mm-hmm. something that, that we have, really place a lot of emphasis on. And so we live in this perfect storm of this culture that is encouraging all these behaviors that undermine our health. And so it's really no surprise that so many of us are unhealthier and that are struggling. Um, and so it's, it's so many layers. It's not just, you know, convincing every single person to start exercising or eating different. It's how do we address the problems with our food system and even our farming subsidies and, education in schools, food in schools, food in hospitals. Um, how do we encourage people to be able to take time off every night to relax and be with their loved ones and eat mm-hmm. dinner together and kind of de-stress from the day? I mean, there's so many different layers to this, but I think that, you know, it can be kind of depressing to think about, but I think yeah. I'm also very hopeful because I think that, that people are starting to wake up to this. Um, and realizing like we are our whole country is just going to run itself into the ground if we don't start addressing this Mm. and and a lot of the things that we're doing are just so backwards I mean healthcare costs are through the roof but if we would just try to change the way we're approaching it and you know change some of our systems and change instead of trying to pay for it all on the back end when people are super sick and we're having to pay for to t- pay for to take care of their diabetes and their dialysis and their heart attacks. Like if we can move some of that up front to help people be healthy, not only are we going to save money as a healthcare system, but people are going to be happier. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be able to live their lives. Um, they're going to have better quality of life. They're going to be better workers, better members of society. Um, there's so many benefits. So I think there's, you know, it is encouraging that there's, I think a lot of people working on this problem, but it's definitely multifaceted. <laughs> yeah, there is a ton of layers. I really like what you said in the beginning, how there are people, a lot of people that just don't prioritize. It. It's not a big deal. Like yeah. You and I, you and I are a very small selection of people that were, right. wake up, we're excited to get after the gym. And, 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 you know, as a coach that it's, sometimes it's unrelatable. Like you said, you're like, what do you mean? You're not, you're not excited to do this or you don't want to be a part right. of what I'm doing. And so for me, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just to be more open-minded and maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. slow approach to the people that come mm-hmm. into your gym and, try to create that, you know, that vitality and that long or that longevity approach rather than like jamming it down your throat. I'm just trying to think of like applicable ways, Julie, that we can, you, you and I can just, you know, work on yeah. some of these numbers. What are some things, what are some things that you would recommend maybe to coaches or people in the CrossFit space? Anything specifically there? Yeah, I think the most important part is trying to get to what's most important to that person. Like mm. what is it that's driving that person? Because that is what, if you can align, you know, what they're doing with their, what drives them, then you're going to be much more successful. So, you know, a lot of people, like I said, don't prioritize their health, but maybe it's, you know, maybe they just love their grandkids and they really want to be able to like play with their grandkids or, you know, whatever, or they want to be able to go, I, you know, have patients who they want to go on a certain vacation or they want to be able to climb this, do this really long hike with their you know, their friends or their family. And so finding whatever it is that motivates them and that drives them and that is important to them and the big picture. And a lot of times you have to dig pretty deep for it. So, you know, you might ask the question and they might say, oh, well, you know, I just want to, you know, 
provide for my family or it might be something very general and, mm-hmm. and really try to dig deep and say, well, why do you want to be able to do that? Or really try to get to what the root and the heart is of, of what drives them. And then if you can connect, you know, what you're doing to that, you're going to be much more effective mm-hmm. um, and helping them to like, to find their own motivation. So, uh, you know, us, us trying to motivate other people and saying like, Oh, you can do it. This is going to be so good for you isn't really going to go that far, but asking the questions to them, like, you know, how do you think you're going to feel after you start doing this for a week or two and it becomes your normal routine and what things do you think will be different in your life? And how will you, you know, what are the, some of the things that you feel now that will be different and, and trying to help them connect that to seeing their life differently, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. And also maybe getting rid of any past underlying experiences that they had. Like if somebody had a bad experience at the gym growing up, like they don't want to come back and maybe they have that image in their mind of like, you know, this is what we did and it hurt and this is not what I want to do. So I bet there's, you know, as you're talking about like starting with why and in referencing the the book Mm -hmm. with Simon Sinek is I think, I think a part of that too is going back and getting to know like what, what got you here? What, what are some past experiences that made you who you are today? And I think as a coach, and as a practitioner, you could probably, um, you know, uh, you know, catch up on some time and help oh, them yeah. by seeing, you know, what got you here in the first place. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And just being able to like taking the time to get to know people, you're building so much trust and they mm-hmm. feel like they know who you are, who, yeah, they know, you know who they are <laughs> <laughs> and you have their best interest in mind. And so that, that trust is so important in helping walk people through these changes because they're not easy. Yeah. And you, you alluded to a little, bit, a little bit with the food in the, in the hospital, but I'm also curious as a medical doctor, what are some challenges or some problems that you're facing when trying to bring people to a healthier lifestyle and what types of things are you trying to do to overcome them? I know we touched on it a little bit, but is there anything else that, you know, you're really challenged with right now? Hmm. You know, I think, I mean, there's, there's so many, I think the fact that that just our, our healthcare system in general is so set up to be reactive. It, mm. it creates a huge challenge. And so if you think about it and most people are not coming into the doctor unless there's a problem, right? That's kind of how our medical system is set up. You're not coming to the doctor unless, you know, things have already gotten bad in one way or another. And a lot of times like that's okay. That's an opportunity to sort of like, okay, let's take a step back and let's listen to what's going on and let's see if we can change some things. But if we could be a little bit more proactive and, and, and not just put, when, when people come in with a problem, not just put a Band-Aid on it and say, okay, here's a medication you can take and see if it feels better. Or, you know, say you have diabetes or high blood pressure, here's a medication you can take and we'll see if we can keep it, quote unquote, under control. And then, you know, 10 years from now, maybe we'll have to add another one. Let's see if we can actually figure out what the underlying cause is like why is it are you not sleeping a lot do you have sleep apnea do you are you stressed out all the time and you're not taking time to relax is it something you're eating um there's just no time to be able to do that in most medical practices um and a lot of this just comes down to our insurance system so you know most medical practices you're getting paid based on the number of patients that you see. So anytime someone comes into the office, you get paid. But if you spend more time with one person because you're really trying to help them and you're not seeing as many people, it's hard to keep the lights on, especially for these private practices. Um, And they're not getting paid for any of the other work you're doing. If you want to, you know, research something for this patient or 
look up their condition or some new therapy that might be helpful to them um, or calling, you know, doing phone calls or things like that. It's not something that you're getting reimbursed for. So it's, it's just not really encouraged to do because there's mm-hmm. no time in the day. And so the whole way that our insurance system is set up and our reimbursement system is set up makes it really, really hard to do the right thing for mm-hmm. patients. And that's unfortunate because then I think patients get frustrated by that, doctors get frustrated by that, and then patients lose trust in the medical system, which is, I think, rightfully so, um, because it's not really working for them. I think in general, it's, it's working for people, other people to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things that's most frustrating for me. Um, and one of the reasons why my husband and I, instead of working in a more traditional setting, are going to be doing... Um, opening our own practice in Nashville and doing a model called direct primary care, which is basically completely outside of insurance. Um, but it's in a way that has the patient's best interest in mind. And so for a lot of patients, it can still end up saving them money, especially if they have a higher deductible insurance plan or something like that, um, which a lot of people do nowadays. So it, it really is set up to try to do what's best for the patient and get them what they need. Um, instead of having to spend all of your time and effort answering to insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit more about that, about the medical side of things, because I think it's sometimes it's kind of one of those conversations like, I don't know, religion, nutrition, that's something that yeah. you know, people don't really want to talk about, but you know what, we're going to, we're going to bring it to the surface and you're the person to talk to <laughs> about it. So what, one thing I, one thing I want to know is what recommendations do you have for, and I, I specifically want to aim this next couple of questions for young people, maybe they're just getting out of college or they're just getting off their, their you know, their parents plan or yeah. whatever it is. So for, if, if we're kind of talking to the younger generation, Julie, what recommendations do you have? for them when searching for a quality practitioner? What are some things that people should look for? And what are some things that people should kind of steer away from when they're young and still trying to figure out how to do life? Yeah, that's such a great question. Because I think in general, what I see happening is most people, you know, don't really go to the doctor because they're healthy, right? So they don't go to the doctor. Maybe like the females maybe have um, a gynecologist that they go to and the males kind of go to urgent care if they need something, if they get sick. Um, they don't really have a primary care doctor. And then usually when we start seeing people in primary care is around like late 30s, early 40s, um, things start kind of setting in. People mm-hmm. start gaining a little bit of weight. Maybe mm-hmm. they're, they get screened on a work physical and they notice like, hey, you've got some high blood pressure or your blood sugar is a little high. Maybe you should go see a primary care doctor. And that's when people usually end up coming in and kind of getting established with primary care. Um, which is fine. And I think that's kind of probably, I mean, really what I've done in a traditional system, because if you're healthy and you're going to a primary care doctor in your twenties or thirties, there's not a whole lot that they're probably going to do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is important to find someone who, you know, whether it's, so I love family medicine because we kind of cover the whole life spectrum. And so we do kids all the way through elderly, but it's important to find someone and establish that relationship with someone that you trust because Mm. and someone who knows you and knows your family history and can help troubleshoot for you. Like, Hey, you had a really early family history of colon cancer. So we're going to have to start screening you when you're 30 instead of 45 or, or some of those nuances that maybe are, are different um, from the general population. Um, And so that you have someone when something happens, like inevitably, something's going to happen to us. We're going to get sick for one reason or another. And having someone who already knows you and who um, knows your story and your history and you can trust 
can really go a long way in those situations. Um, when it comes to looking for someone who's sort of like-minded, if you're in this like fitness health optimization world, I think looking for someone else who is also like-minded. Mm-hmm. So taking time to, you know, whether you're going to a regular insurance-based um, practice or a big system, at least like reading the bios of the, the doctors and seeing, you know, usually if someone's really interested in fitness and health and nutrition, it's going to be in their bio. So you mm-hmm. want to find someone who's maybe aligned with that. And then word of mouth is obviously can be really helpful to find someone else who's aligned. I think um, now, you know, functional medicine is something that I've spent a lot of time learning about and there's directories of functional medicine practitioners. Now, a lot of them um, might not necessarily be doing all of the primary care. And so that's one of the challenges um, that you might run into there. But they are definitely going to have the lens of let's get to the root cause of any problems that you're having. Um, and then another really exciting thing, which has just happened recently, that I don't think a lot of people know about is there's a directory, there's a CrossFit directory of physicians. So oh, cool. if you go, yeah, if you go to CrossFit.com and you go to the affiliate finder, um, you can actually search for a physician in your area who has done the CrossFit level one. Oh, and that's so at least, cool. you know, yeah, at least, you know, like, Hey, they do CrossFit. They kind of get, my lifestyle and that can go a long way. Yeah, definitely can. Can you unpack a little bit of the functional medicine? uh, What does that mean? I think it's a little bit newer to some people. Can you just clarify exactly what that means? Yeah. So functional medicine is basically the idea of getting to the root cause of whatever symptoms you have. So it's a different operating system for thinking about medicine. So normally in medicine, when you come in with a symptom, I use like, depression as an example. If you come in and you have all these symptoms that kind of fall under this umbrella of depression. And so, mm-hmm. you know, in a conventional system, your doctor would say, okay, it looks like you have depression. Here's the treatments that we know that we prescribe for depression. And they would give you one of those treatments and see if you improve. Whereas from a functional medicine perspective, you come in and you say, okay, these symptoms kind of meet this, this picture of depression. But why are you having these symptoms is Mm. what the functional medicine doctor is going to ask, because it could be a lot of different things for different people. For some people, it might just be situational. For some people, it might be something they're eating. Mm. Maybe they have an undiagnosed, you know, celiac disease. Maybe they have low vitamin D. Maybe there's, um, you know, they're not yeah seasonal. Maybe they're not exercising. They're not getting enough sunlight, whatever it might be. It was trying to address that. Um, and, and so that you're not necessarily just like giving everybody the same treatment that's worked, you know, in a big population randomized controlled trial, but you're trying to get to the root cause for that individual person. And just because you're trying to get to the root cause doesn't mean you're not going to use conventional treatment. So, you know, in, there are certain situations where maybe you do want to use a medication for a short term, but you're not going to use that as, as saying like, okay, that's it, we're done. You're always still going to be looking for that underlying cause and seeing how you can optimize so that hopefully you don't have to be on a medication forever. And so, I had first heard of that approach when I was in med school and there was at that time they had just started the center for functional medicine at Cleveland clinic when I was in med school there. And that, as far as I know now is still the only big center for functional medicine and a big academic center. Most of the practices are smaller private practices, but it just allowed me to learn a lot about the approach and spend some time rotating there and going through residency. I was able to do, there's, the Institute for Functional Medicine does a lot of the education around it. And I went through all their coursework. Mm. And so it's definitely an approach that, you know, my husband and I are going to be using in our primary care practice. But like I said, 
you know, a lot of functional medicine practices really do it as more of a kind of like a specialty practice okay. where they're not necessarily going to, you know, they'll help you with, you know, your digestive issues or your depression or whatever other symptom, but they might not necessarily be there for all of your primary care needs too, like your pap smears and your colon cancer screenings or okay. your cold, you know, mm-hmm. your cold or your UTI or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in our practice, we're really trying to combine all of it and, and provide really good primary care, but also do it through a functional medicine lens. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. So just to continue, the so the functional medicine doctor is usually not going to look right to medicine first. Is that kind of, is that kind of the, the vibe you're getting as well? Yes. Yes. They're going to look for underlying causes. They're going to start with those big roots, like those big pieces, those pillars that I talked about, and they're going to maybe use supplements. They're going to use food. They're mm-hmm. going to use exercise. They might use some other alternative treatments like maybe acupuncture or things like that meditation um and then medications are still in their tool bag but it's definitely not going to be the first coach and so to me that's that sounds very personalized and as a personal trainer that yeah. sounds very attractive to me and i again i i'm very new to the stuff julie so remind me if i'm <laughs> sounding a little dumb here but to me that sounds like the future that sounds like something that that is attractive to most people is what are the downsides are there any downsides to that i, I don't know i mean i agree <laughs> i think it's the future i think the downside is just making it work. So I think in a, in an insurance based system, it's hard to provide that kind of care. Mm-hmm. So it's making it work and making it accessible to a lot of people, I think is the biggest challenge. And then showing that it can actually improve outcomes. So then hopefully be able to use it on a, on a larger scale. Very cool. Awesome. I want to pivot uh, one more time here before we close things down and talk about something that is very powerful. And you posted about it on your Instagram a few days ago, and it's the medical practitioners in their bikini. And this is something that, yeah. um, once again, you, you put out the fantastic post, but it's something I had, to <laughs> sit I had to read through again because it blew my mind and I didn't even get it all until I got, got through it a second time. So what I'd like to do, because I think it's very important, is um, I, I would like you to elaborate on a little bit. Talk a little bit about, you know, what are the things that you've learned? Talk about that post a little bit because I think I know 18,000 people liked it, but I think, you know, there's millions more people that need to hear it. So can you talk a little bit about what that post was all about? Sure. So it was a study that came out in the, I think it was journal of vascular surgery and a vascular surgery journal. Um, just recently, I think it's actually scheduled to be in the August issue. And some researchers had wanted to identify what was the prevalence of unprofessional social media behavior among recent people who had graduated from vascular surgery. So people who had just finished the residency or fellowship in vascular surgery and what kind of stuff were they posting out on social media? And, and it's, a, it's a very hot topic, I think, in medicine because, you know, it's this, this fine line of, you know, what you post and what's publicly available does that reflect on the organization that you work for? Does it, re- how does it reflect on your patient mm-hmm. and your patient care? And so it's something that, you know, it's been widely studied, this topic of like professionalism and social media and medicine. It's been widely studied, but what was interesting about this study was that it had been recent graduates and basically the researchers used a database to identify all the recent graduates that was not necessarily meant for research. So they found all these people who didn't even know they were being quote unquote studied used, you know, made a fake social media profile and went and looked at all these graduates and then tried to categorize their posts and identify any that were definitely unprofessional or 
probably unprofessional or questionably unprofessional. And the definite ones are definite ones. Like it's posting patient information mm -hmm. or, you know, um, I can't remember all the other ones, but they were like blatant things that, you mm -hmm. know, definitely were unprofessional. And then the questionable ones were thrown on the fence, like having alcohol in the photo or looking intoxicated or, um, they made some about sort of inappropriate clothing and included like Halloween costumes and specifically swimwear and bikinis. And the part that was really, I think, uh, what people had the biggest problem with and what created this huge social media uproar was that the people who actually reviewed these posts were three male researchers who were all fellows or medical student or students. Um, they were about the same age group. And so there's just these, you know, these three researchers who are very, um, there's not a lot of diversity among that group. And mm -hmm. a lot of the judgments about whether this is a professional bikini post or an unprofessional bikini post. And like a lot of that comes down to a subjective judgment and, and it's sort of difficult to categorize. And so social media had this huge uproar. You saw a lot of doctors posting pictures of themselves in bikinis and showing like, Hey, I can be a really good doctor and also wear a bikini at the beach. There's nothing wrong with that. And actually, the study ended up getting retracted um, just a few days later, which I think yeah. is amazing. And mm -hmm. it's showing the power of you yeah. know, what we're capable of doing you know, on social media. I think there's a lot of really tough things about social media, but there's also some positive things that have happened because of how quickly people can unite and, and sort of create change. So I was glad to see that. And, and I was glad to see you know, all these doctors posting pictures of themselves in bikinis because it's it's true. I think for so long this, and, and that's part of the reason why I love family medicine is because I think it is more personal and you're trying to get to know your patients more as people, but doctors are people too. And, mm -hmm. and I think that it's really important for patients to see their doctor. You know, you want to have, especially if you're, you know, getting vascular surgery, you want to have the very best surgeon who sure. knows exactly what they're doing, but whether or not they wear a bikini at the beach or whether or not they drink wine on the weekend when they're not working, doesn't really have any bearing on how good of a surgeon they are or how well they're going to take care of you. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and as I was preparing for the show yesterday, I was kind of researching some of this a little bit and it kind of stemmed back to a post from a woman um, in Hawaii. I don't know if you saw this or not. This yes. was the big, this was like the big uproar, right? This she, was amazing. Yeah. So she, and I, I could be wrong here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but saved a person's life on the beach yep. and she had a bikini on and, you know, there was, I don't know if there's uproar about, you know, you shouldn't be wearing that, whatever, but it just, it just goes to show how awesome is it that, you know, she literally saved a man's life on the beach yeah. with a bikini on. And it just goes to show that it's just not relevant on what they're wearing at the time. So did you have any comments about that post? I loved that. I, I actually sent a message to her yesterday and it's so cool because she's, I mean, that's her job. She's an emergency physician in Hawaii and she takes care of, I, I don't know what her exact job is, but she's taking care of beach emergencies a lot of the time. And yes, she's in a bikini and she posted a picture of her literally, like you said, saving this man's life and being there kind of like stabilizing him all while wearing a bikini and like, who cares <laughs> what she was, you know, that's what you're supposed to be wearing at the beach anyways, but who cares what she was wearing if she's doing a good job. Yeah. I think it's, it goes to show how powerful social media is as well. And it can be powerful yeah. in a negative way. Obviously we've seen that, but it also can be very powerful in a positive way as you've been a part of the movement, uh, posting those photos. I think, I think it's just, yeah, I think at the end of the day, what we can really take away from this along with what you just said is that we have a voice and people have a voice and can use that, um, in some very positive ways. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely been a takeaway, especially from these past few months and, yeah. and how much has happened on social media is being like, 
okay, you know, we can post pictures of, you know, our breakfast every morning and our workouts, (laughs) but there's also some really powerful things that we can do on social media too. So cool. Um, I usually end my shows with five fun questions. Um, Do you have the time to go through five or? Sure, I'll do my best. All right. (laughs) We'll put you on the spot a little bit here. Okay, make any guarantees. (laughs) That's okay. They're just fun ones. Uh, The first question, Julie, what is one piece of advice that you would give to an 18-year-old kid who wants to be in your shoes someday? What's one piece of advice you'd give them? Oh, wow. That's good. Um, I would say just, I would just say just keep working hard and always, always try to understand what's important to you and why you're doing what you're doing. Because Mm. I think so many times, especially, I mean, when I was 18, I had no clue. I was so naive. Even when I was like 22 or whenever it was that I started (laughs) med school, like you just kind of go and do the next thing that's expected of you. Like I came from a family where ever since I was young, it was expected I was going to go to college and that's what I did. And then, you know, I went to college and I kind of knew I was going to be pre-med and that was the next step. And I do that. And, for me, I eventually got to a point in med school where I had, I had, you know, a kind of a tough time and really had to step back and say, wow, why, why am I doing the things that I'm doing and what is really important to me? And I think a lot of times we have to go through something hard in order to be able to really answer that question. But I think if you can keep that in mind from the beginning of what's your bigger picture and why are you doing the things that you're doing and then working really hard to, to move towards that goal. Um, it's really powerful. Awesome. Number two, I kind of changed for you specifically, but I'm curious as a, as a medical doctor, what's one myth or misconception that you would love to just stop and just clear the air on for everybody? Oh gosh. <laughs> you got to just, just one. I'm sure there are several. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think in general, maybe this isn't the best one, but like, kind of like what we just talked about, like doctors are people too. They are just, they went, I don't know many doctors who went into medicine that didn't want to do it because they just want to help people. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're generally trying to do the best they can. They're trying to help people. And I mm-hmm. think that there's so much now, there's so much mistrust in the medical system and I think that a lot of it is because of how the system has conditioned people to be and to practice medicine and to do things that maybe might not make sense, um, especially if you're more enlightened about, you know, nutrition and exercise and all these other things. And it can be frustrating to talk to a doctor who is maybe not, you know, quote unquote, practicing what they preach, but just try to have some understanding that like this person into this field because they're tra- they wanted to help people mm-hmm. and a lot of times the system just you know really it, it's just not a good system in order to be able to help people be healthy so I think just keeping that in mind awesome great answer number three this one's a tricky one here if you had your own billboard Julie a big billboard over a busy highway what would you want it to say and why oh this is so hard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is there a quote, a phrase, something that you wish everybody could drive by and see by chance? Um, I'm not really good with like good <laughs> phrases. I'm putting you totally on the spot too. I didn't I send know. these ahead of time. We can come back to it if you want. I'll think about it. 
Okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll come back to it. Number, this, this one might be a little bit easier, maybe not. Number four, if you had the opportunity to work out with anybody in the world, they must be alive, who would you work out with? Um, so I'm a huge fan of Rhonda Patrick. Okay. I don't know if you follow her, but no. she's like, to me, she's like the coolest. I don't know. I have two, maybe two, but she's the coolest. She's a, a PhD, researches nutrition and a lot of like anti-aging and longevity science. Okay. And sure. um, she also has a podcast, which is amazing. Um, but she, she posts, her podcast is actually called Found My Fitness and she posts a lot of like high intensity workouts, like biking or running intervals. And I just feel like she would, if she got to experience CrossFit, she would love it. And so yeah. I would love to work out with her. Oh, that's cool. CrossFit. I'm going to research her. That, that sounds like an interesting person. <laughs> Very cool. Did you have a second, a second person that you said or no? Oh, the other person that comes to mind, I mean, I'm a gymnast at heart. So I grew up doing gymnastics. So probably one of the gymnasts, like I'm a huge Ellie Raisin fan and obviously a huge Simone Biles fan. So that would be super cool. Yeah, that would be spectacular. Very cool. Um, my last question here is, and I've changed it a little bit as we've pushed this COVID season even further. So now I've kind of yeah. just, it's a different, it's a different verbiage here, but now I say, um, what is one thing that you've learned, not only in the COVID season, but let's just say in the year 2020, because it's probably going to be this whole year, right? Okay. What, is, what is one thing you've learned in 2020 that's going to make you either a better person, doctor, coach, human being in 2021? What's something you're going to take away from this calendar year that's going to make you better next year? Um, I think it's about slowing down and it's about, I, I think I always knew this, but it just reiterated to me how important the people are in our lives. Like, mm. I think that a lot of people, you know, it's just, it's been such a great time to be able to slow down, to not have all, a lot of these extra obligations and to be able to really spend time with people. And when we went through, especially those first few weeks and months where we were all, you know, nobody had any idea what was going on, just how comforting it was to do these, you know, do Zoom calls with your family or with your friends from college or different groups of people that you didn't, maybe we wouldn't have reached out to as often, but how in times of uncertainty and, and crisis, how the people in our lives are really the most important. So yeah. I would say that like slowing down and people. Love it. Cool. Did you come up with your, your billboard? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. We, we can, if you come like, up yeah, with it, you let maybe, me know. <laughs> I'll let you know if I think of it. Sorry. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. I'm well, not very creative. <laughs> it is okay. Um, so if somebody wants to kind of get a hold of what you guys are doing or see, you know, obviously you have the, the podcast. What are some ways, how can I point my listeners to you if they want to learn more from you and, and kind of follow what you're up to? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Julie Fouché and then Pursuing Health you can follow as well at Pursuing Health. Um, the podcast is called Pursuing Health. So you can find that on any podcast platform. And our website is pursuing-health.com. So there's a dash in the middle. Very cool. Julie, that hour went by so fast. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very, very busy with everything going on with the move and all that. So thank you for, for taking the time to chat with me today. It was really a lot of fun. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Awesome. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it on Instagram, take Julie or myself and give me a rating on iTunes. That would be much, much appreciated. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast.